Episode 9, Vikings of the Pandemic, Disco Island, Greenland, 2026, Arctic Station, Kirkatasak, March 2026. Anna was busy getting ready for a trip to the Arctic Station. Most of the team would be there or connected remotely. They were going to conclude their research about the origins of the consumption virus and how to proceed with the medicinal antidotes the team had discovered. Her husband, Benjamin Patton, was already in Greenland conducting epidemiological studies of the Inuit population on behalf of WHO, documenting the factors influencing their immunity to the virus. Over the Christmas holiday, Anna was able to review her great-grandfather's journals and the work family history. Robert's journal included information he gathered from Kirkwall about the work plan. Robert was able to meet two work families on Chapinsay Island during his visit. They took him on a walk around Balfour Village, located on the southern tip of the island. By the 1800s, the Balfour family owned all of Chapinsay. They built Balfour Castle, the island's most prominent building, and introduced modern agricultural practices to the island. The history did not have much information about the family's stay in Northern Ireland, where they emigrated after their land in Orkney was confiscated by the royalist followers of Charles II. Family members supported the Protestant King William and Queen Mary in their overthrow of Catholic James II during the Glorious Revolution of 1688. Some fought in the Battle of the Boyne, the battle in Ireland that won William his throne. The majority of the history recounted the family's pioneer days in colonial Pennsylvania, their participation as patriots during the American Revolution, and their abiding belief in God and the sanctity and independence of the Presbyterian Church. Robert's father, Josiah Work, who moved to Colorado from Pennsylvania in the 1880s, was the son of James Work of Indiana County, Pennsylvania, just north of Pittsburgh. James Work's homestead became a stop on the Underground Railroad. John Work, whom Robert met in Labrador during his internship in Newfoundland, and his great-grandson Alexander Work, whom Anna met in Newfoundland, had deep roots working in the rugged outposts of the Hudson Bay Company, a different culture, a different country, a different life. Anna wondered how the path of the two branches of the work family that came to North America could have been more different. Anna and Claire opened the box of mementos that Rachel Work gave her nephew. It had been sitting on the table in the living room for over two months. They hoped that having read the family history in Robert's journals, they would be able to understand the meaning of what was in the box. After looking through some photographs and letters, they lifted out a cloth bag that lay at the bottom. Inside, they found a very old and worn locket, vaguely resembling the shape of a ship, and a note written by Josephine Hamilton. Dear Robert, this locket has been passed down from one generation to the next by family members who were healers. It goes back as far as the family's time on Orkney Island. Pass this on to someone who is worthy of it. Love, Josephine. 
The clasp of the locket was welded together with rust and time. Anna wanted to know its age and what was inside of it. She decided to take it to the Provincial Museum and Archives of Newfoundland Labrador in St. John's to see if they could tell her anything. Before she left, she dropped it off with the head archivist at the museum. Anna felt she was being pulled in two directions, the family's past that was full of surprises and the future that desperately needed a medical miracle. It was difficult for Anna to reconcile the two. If a remedy for the consumption virus was not found soon, what good would it do knowing her family history? She hoped that this team meeting at Arctic Station on Disco Island in Greenland would clear up some of her questions. Nene Moeller and Adam Olson, the two Greenland biologists working with WHO on the consumption virus, were preparing the classroom at Arctic Station for a meeting of WHO scientists. Nene and Adam assisted the WHO research team by collecting specimens in southern Greenland. They continued collecting after the team left Narsarsak from the shore and ice packs of nearby Disco Bay and points north. Arctic Station is located on Disco Island, just off the west coast of Greenland and just north of the Arctic Circle. It faces Baffin Bay across the Labrador Strait. Kirkasak, population 1100, a former Danish whaling station, is the closest town to the station and is accessible year-round because of an airport, heliport. In January, a biologist, Christina Anawak, working with the team at Cape Spear, but originally from the Cambridge Bay Research Station in Nunavut, came to Arctic Station. Both Christina and Nini, women of Inuit heritage, together with an anthropology with the University of Copenhagen, affiliated with Arctic Station, researched the past and present uses of the Arctic slug and other native medicinal substances by the Yanuit. The three of them interviewed native healers in Kirkasak and Kunak, an Inuit community located at the northwest tip of Greenland. They also consulted with climate and medical scientists in Nuuk, the capital of Greenland. Christina confirmed from traditional healers in Nunavut that the Arctic slug was used in their practice. She and Nevi compared their findings and concluded that in both Inuit cultures the use of the mollusks stretched back many generations. One of the oldest healers in Greenland, a woman in her 80s, related an ancient story about a great illness that overcame the Inuit in Greenland many generations ago. The use of the Arctic slug dated from this time, as it was believed to have taken away the illness that caused fever and weakness. Christina found a similar old wives' tale circulating in Inuit communities in Nunavut. Adam Olson, working with climatologists and glaciologists in Greenland and Nunavut, studying the set sediment in the melting ice. The flow out of vast sub subterranean lakes pooling under the ice sheets in both locations was accelerating at an alarming rate. The flow from great glaciers in Cambridge Bay was tracked through inland waterways before catching the Labrador current 
that ran south from Baffin Island into the North Atlantic. The flow from glaciers melting in Greenland was merging with the West Greenland Current and the East Greenland Current before emptying into the North Atlantic. The melting ice contained sediment being deposited on Greenland, Nunavut, and Newfoundland Labrador shorelines. The study of the sediment became a research priority. WHO scientists had conducted laboratory analysis of core samples taken from glaciers in Nunavut and Greenland, an important marker the medieval warming period that took place between 1000 and 1300 AD gave scientists a timeline. A preliminary finding was that an ancient virus with some of the characteristics of the consumption virus was embedded in core samples from the medieval warming period. Genetic analysis of material from marine life living during that period showed that one specimen was similar to the Arctic slug collected by the team in Greenland in 2025. The meeting taking place at Arctic Station in Kakatisak was bringing together scientists from the WHO research station at Cape Spear, Newfoundland, Cambridge Bay Research Station in Nunavut, St. Anthony's Research Laboratory in St. Anthony's, Newfoundland, and Arctic Station, Kirkatasak, Greenland. Team members were staying at the colorfully painted station in rooms used by visiting researchers and students. Thurgood Haraldson sat at the head of the large table. The large window behind him looked out over Disco Bay. It was March, and the ice covering the bay was beginning to break up. The sun was shining brightly. The participants sat apart around the table wearing face masks. They included Anna Work and her husband, Lily Yabizaki, Gupta Arwal, and Christine Anawak, who came with a glaciologist from Nunavut. The Greenland team included Levi Moller and Adam Olson from Arctic Station and a glaciologist from Kahnak, Greenland. The rest of the team were present remotely. I am from Iceland, Thurgod Good began his talk. And, like many Icelanders, I am a storyteller. Icelanders have a reputation for storytelling, going back to Viking times. The scribes of Iceland kept the stories of the gods and Norse kings alive. They preserved histories of mythical and legendary, legendary characters who lived in the northern lands. This is a scientific inquiry commissioned by the WHO, and we must stick to the facts. But having read the research reports that you will be presenting today, I believe you have uncovered a remarkable story. Instead of giving a dry scientific introduction to our research work, I have synthesized what I understand from your submissions into a story, because it is a story stretching over eons of time. Thurgood took a sip of water before proceeding. He had the group's full attention, and he thought to himself, they all like stories. This story begins 10,000 years ago, 
We know from the ice cores you have studied that a genetic ancestor of the consumption virus exists back then and was embedded in the sediment below the sea ice. The virus lived in microorganisms in the sea bottom. It lay dormant and undisturbed, perhaps for thousands of years. The virus made one appearance before it raised its head in 2024. That was during what we call the medieval warming period between 1000 and 1300 AD. During this short period, the virus attacked plants and animals, then humans. We believe that the Inuit of what is now northern Canada, Nunavut, Northwest Territories, and Greenland were its human victims. We only have oral histories to go by and some anthropological evidence that a great epidemic swept over the Inuit who populated these areas. We can only speculate. The medieval warming period was significant to northern history. That was when the Vikings in their seagoing ships settled Iceland and then Greenland. We know this from the Icelandic scribes and their sagas. We know that one Greenlander, Leif Erikson, attempted to settle Newfoundland. The archaeologists in Lonzo Meadows continue to discover other sites in Newfoundland and New Brunswick where the Greenlanders walked. The virus that emerged during this period had an antidote, one that was discovered by Inuit healers. This was an Arctic slug, a type of mollusk. The Arctic slug emerged with the virus out of the sediment being released by melting ice during the warming period. The Inuit discovered that the slime emitted on the surface of the slug when included in a poultice and made into a tea, along with other ingredients, reduced the fever and other symptoms and restored the Inuit to health. The slug protected itself by exuding a substance that was toxic to the virus. The slug we know now produces a toxin called anabasine. Anabasine is not harmful to humans or to vertebrae. The Inuit discovered the power of this toxin and used it in their practice. Over time, as conditions became colder, the slug receded back into the ice, probably around 1500. The Inuit, however, used it and ingested over several hundred years, and we believe developed an immunity to the consumption virus when it emerged once again last year. Global warming in our age is more intense than in the medieval warming period since the Second World War climate change has accelerated and the past 70 years of human activity has steadily produced more greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than in any other time in history. These conditions have allowed the consumption virus to emerge from the ice. Initially, it infected Arctic marine life, migrating birds, eating the marine life, spread it around the globe. The iris virus has swept out into the North Atlantic to ocean currents, then into the world's oceans. It was only a matter of time before the virus exploded in human populations worldwide. Thurgood continued, You have shown through your multidisciplinary efforts that the North has given us the virus, but it has also given us some weapons to fight it. 
The anabessine that the Arctic slug produces is an alkaloid toxin that is designed specifically to counter the virus DNA and RNA. But that is not the only antidote the North has produced. An alkaloid environment in Newfoundland, the limestone barrier, produces plants that are able to neutralize the virus. What we have in both the Arctic slug and the powerful medicinal plants of the limestone barrier is the ability to depolarize the genetic core of the virus so that it can no longer duplicate. Thurgood faced his rapt audience. They wanted to hear Thurgood's conclusion to this story. Much of the story I have told you is what we think might have happened hundreds and even thousands of years ago. It is possible theory, difficult to prove without a lot of additional research. Today, we are facing a worldwide crisis, and as scientists, we must proceed on facts and on what we can be proven in our laboratories, conducting scientifically sound experiments. The good news is that your discoveries could give us bi give biochemists, geneticists, and virologists information they need to break down the elements in an anabasine toxin, the ligands in limestone barriers, and the enzymes in the plants that live there. From this analysis, treatments can be designed that could alleviate the symptoms that afflict consumption virus patients the respiratory and lung diseases, the circulatory and hemorrhagic disorders, the skin lesions, and the neurological deficits. You have provided hope for defeating the ravages and suffering this pandemic has brought to the human race. Continuing our epological and genetic studies of the Inuit people who have a natural immunity to this virus gives us another hopeful avenue to pursue. From this research, the possibility that a vaccine can be developed is very real. How novel Thurgood's approach was to summarizing the results of our research, thought Anna. She could now see how the different strands fit together, the big picture. There was still much work to be done, but she was convinced that they were on the right track. She glanced around the classroom and wondered if everyone there was thinking the same thing. Leave it to a storytelling Icelander and an oceanographer to put this work into focus. Thurgood stood up. Let's get some fresh air and take a break. They all looked out the window where the sun was reflecting brilliantly off the snow. Anna and Benjamin, carrying their coffee, walked to the edge of the grounds and looked out over the wharf towards the sweeping disco bay. The bright snow moved upward in gradations from the ice covering the water to the shore and then to the low mountains surrounding the bay. The old-timers tell me that this was one of the favorite places the Vikings liked to haunt, Benjamin remarked. Many Viking artifacts have been found here. They called, it, they called this place Bear Island. Neither of them spoke as they gazed out on the scene in front of them. Soon others from the group joined them, including Thurgood. Thurgood, Anna said, I am much taken with your approach to providing the context for our research work. You wove an intriguing and exciting story, and I'm very happy that I am part of it. Thurgood smiled. I wasn't sure what the reception would be. 
All I know is that this project uncovered clues to Arctic history that touched me in a profound way, and I had to speak to it. We will continue with our research priorities, but having an understanding of the antecedents to this pandemic, which goes back thousands of years, is important to our work. The story was my way of understanding the pandemic, mysterious past, and possible future. The team continued working, reviewing each piece of research presented in detail. Their conclusions were not far different from Thurgood's preliminary analysis. They had an understanding of the events leading up to the pandemic and a path forward.